So something happened I thought was a little strange on the very last night of the cruise that my wife and I went on recently. We went on a cruise with Bob and Andrea Altvader. By the way, we were in the, the Caribbean, not the Mediterranean. I don't know what I was thinking a couple weeks ago, in case some of you are wondering. But, uh, you know, something strange happened. Now, let me tell you what happens on cruises if you're not familiar with it. Um, that's kind of our way of getting away from society. Uh, it's kind of, there's some, a safeguard built in because my cell phone doesn't work on cruises. I don't know if you know that because you're out in the middle of nowhere. So my wife is able to actually have me to herself and I'm not uh, calling people. I'm not trying to do ministry. And it's really nice just to be able to escape. But on cruises, typically, you have some great entertainment all week long. They have Broadway shows. They have jugglers. They have comedians. They have song and dance routines that are just pretty incredible. Well, on the very last night of any cruise, there's usually a collection of all the kind of uh, talent that has been displayed throughout the week. And it's in this kind of heartwarming night where you got all of these performers performing. And it usually builds up to a final song. And the final song is probably a feel, it's more of a feel-good song that, that just embraces humanity, embraces what we are all about. And of course, as this song starts out, the singers are singing and the dancers are dancing. And then the captain of the ship comes out and all the crew members and the stage is filled and everybody's swaying back and forth. And it's just an incredible time together. And it's fun. It's fun to see that. And everybody rises to their feet and applause. But here's what I found strange. What I found strange was the song that, they, that was the capstone of the cruise. It was the capstone of what it was all about. This was the song that they sang to. Listen to this. Imagine there's no heaven As people are swaying back and forth to this song, I'm, I'm thinking, do you, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that there's no heaven? Do you believe that there's no God? Is that your frame of thinking? Do you think that this life is about us just living for the here and now? It's kind of like eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die and we just cease to exist. Is that what you believe about this life 
Or do you believe that there is a different narrative? See, as I look at this, I, I don't see society ending with peace and harmony and we're living in a utopian society. My friends, my question to you is, is this what it's all about? Is it each person living a narcissistic life and somehow in the end there's peace and harmony and when we die we simply cease to exist? Is that what it's about? Or is it possible that there is a greater and grander narrative that is taking place in this life? A narrative where God is actually on the throne and God is orchestrating events and he's using people and he gives people purpose that goes way beyond here and now and into eternity. I believe it's the second. I believe, and if you believe that the Bible is true, then you're going to realize that there is a grander narrative of this life. And it's one that gives us great purpose. And in the next several weeks, as we go through the month of March leading up to Easter, we're going to be studying that narrative. We're going to be doing a series called God's Story. Now, I want you to know as we go through God's story, I have several goals that I, as your pastor, want to see in you. Here's the first goal. The first goal is that you would understand that there is a linear history, a linear story that God has been and continues to be unfolding. You say, why is that so important? Well, because it's in that linear story that God is unfolding his plan of redemption. See, some people think that life is just cyclical, that we're kind of chasing our tail, and we're just repeating the same mistakes. And yes, there are some patterns in life, but the reality is it's not cyclical. There is a linear line in which God is working and moving us from point A to point Z, and there is somewhere we are going that it's not aimless. There is something that God is working towards, and we're going to see that as we open up the scriptures, and we're going to see that you and I are a part of that redemption story that he has for us. Here's the second thing I would like for us to see. I want us to realize that the goal of everything, the goal of everything is the glory of God. This is what Numbers 14.21 says. Truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Here is the spotlight of God right down on center stage earth. And what God is saying, the earth is filled with the glory of God. Now we know, and we're going to see this in a minute, that creation exhibits the glory of God. But we know that it's his main characters, the main individuals that he places on the earth that are stamped with his image that God wants his glory and his purpose and his reason for our creation to be made known. He wants to be exalted through our lives, through his creation. We're told in Romans chapter 11 this, for from him and through him and to him are all things, all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, since God is the source of our calling, since he is the source of our purpose, our sense of destiny that God is doing in our life, since God is doing that, we are to glorify him in everything that we do. See, here's the problem. Sometimes in this life, 
we get so caught up in the here and now that we forget that God is the central figure of this story. We somehow want to interject us as a central figure. It's about my happiness. It's about my career advancement. It's about the people and the relationships that I have. It's about the songs that I like. It's about the programs that I like. It's about me. And what I want us to see is that we're not even a blip on the radar screen as far as what's central. What's central is God. And what this does is it gives us a focal point. It helps us realize that everything we do, everything that Mission View does, we want God to be glorified because it's always, always about his glory. Everything is about his glory. Here's the third thing I want you to see. If everything is about God's glory, then the means, the means of everything is about the grace of God. That's how we can exist. That's how we operate in this life. It's by God's grace. It's for his glory, but it's by his grace. This was a passage I, I gave you when we were going through the book of Mark. 2 Timothy 1.9. Listen to the words. This grace... This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Now let that sink in for a minute. This grace was given to us before the beginning of time. Before God even set this world on its axis, God had a plan of redemption, of grace, set in motion before the beginning of time. Now that blows my mind away to think about God in that way. Now what this does do for us is it helps us to realize that if God set things in motion before the beginning of time and he is continuing to work it out, then this is the source of strength that God wants us to have in this life. If, if the glory is the focal point, then the grace is our source of strength. And ultimately, it is found out when we understand who Jesus Christ is. Because Jesus Christ is really the embodiment of what grace is all about. And that's why we're going to be studying Jesus in the Old Testament, really. We studied in the book of Mark, Jesus, in the New Testament. Now we're going to study Jesus in the Old Testament and see what he's all about. Here's the fourth goal. The fourth goal that I have in this series is that each of you would know your story. That you would know how you fit in to the grander narrative of God's story. Because God has designed every single person here to fit in to his story. He created you not because he was having a boring day and that he wanted to spice things up and says, okay, I'm going to bring around, I'm going to bring out the, those Chandler girls. I'm going to bring them around. I'm going to bring out Grace. I'm going to bring out Jonathan. I'm going to bring out all these individuals just because I'm bored. No, no, no. God created you and I with a purpose. And he wants us to understand how he has uniquely crafted each and every one of us and how we fit within the narrative of what God wants to do in this life of ours. You have a purpose. Now, let me give a few kind of disclaimers as we're going in or some, some preliminary things that you need to know. First of all, 
normally we go through a book in the Bible verse by verse. Since we're going to be covering Genesis to Revelation in six weeks' time, I'm not going verse by verse. Um, We're going to take an overview. And so this is going to be kind of an Old Testament survey. And so if, if you've often wondered how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together, hopefully you'll be able to connect the dots. Second, our uh, study guides that we have with each of the messages that are going to be discussed in the study in the uh, community groups are designed to get you deeper into God's Word. And they're available online if you're not in a community group, but I would encourage you, even yet, if you're not in a community group, get a part of one so that you can collectively as a group discuss the things that are talked about on Sunday morning. Here's the third thing, and this is kind of a a technicality uh, I want to footnote right now. I want to footnote two of my sources. Outside of the Bible, I am referring to uh, two friends of mine, Adam Barton, who put together a series called God's Storyline. I'm going to be referring to some of his materials, but I'm also going to be referring to Pastor John Kitchen's book, Long Story Short. I will have that available to you on the very last week of our series if you would like to purchase it. And it will help kind of remind you of the things that we've talked about. But I wanted to give credit where credit was due. And it was already mentioned earlier by Josh that we're going to feature an album. We've never done that. It's just something different. On, uh, as recently, I've been listening to the All Sons and Daughters album And I realize how much of that album backs up the principles that we're going to be talking about. So I want to encourage you. We have a special Spotify song list on our website. There's a link to go to iTunes if you would like to purchase it and put it on one of your devices. I would encourage you to to do just that. Let's pray and ask that God would use this series for his glory. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look at your word that you would open our hearts I pray, Father, that this just would not be another series that we go through, but that we would honestly have our hearts open to what you want to teach us. I pray, Father, that you would help us to have uh, a mind that wants to know your heart. So, Lord, I pray that this person would be out of the way and that your spirit would be our teacher today and that you would help us to understand. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. So we go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 1-1. And in Genesis 1-1, the story of God unfolds to us in a spectacular way. It says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. Just those first four words tell us so much. The curtain opens and we see the central figure of who it's all about is God. God is the one that's there. He is singular. He is complete. He is fulfilled. He is absolutely perfect. He is one. And as human beings, it's hard for us to actually put descriptives on God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to let God's word describe God and who he is. Here's what we know of God. We know that God is the cause of the universe, according to Psalm 19.1. He is the designer, according to Romans 1, 18 to 20. He is moral and intellectual, according to Acts 17, 29. 
He is the creator of man, and he has made us in his likeness. In this very chapter, chapter 1, verse 26, this is what's stated. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We know that God is a unified God. He is one, but he is three persons. We get the hint of that in this verse. Let us make man in our image. We know that Deuteronomy 6.4 talks about him being unified, him being one. He is infinite, according to 1 Kings 8.27. He's eternal, Psalm 90, verse 2. He's unchanging, James 1.17. He's omnipresent, Psalm 139, 7-12. He's omniscient, he knows everything. Matthew 11, verse 21. He's omnipotent. Revelations 19.6, he's sovereign, Ephesians 1, and he is full of justice, Acts 17.31. He's full of love, Ephesians 2.44-5. He's full of truth, John 14.6, and he is holy, 1 John 1.5. See, if these first four words are absolutely true, then all the isms in the world go out the window. Do you know what I'm talking about? Atheism. It goes out the window because God is. Materialism goes out the world because God existed before the material world existed. Polytheism, the thought of many gods, goes out the window because we have one sovereign God. In the beginning, God. Now we move on in the passage, and it says, In the beginning God created heaven and the earth. Now he does this, and he brings in that process the supporting cast members. Now he has the creation, which is marvelous, but by day six he gets to the supporting cast members of Adam and Eve. Now we don't have time to read Genesis 1 and 2, so you can read it on your own, but here's the summary. Day one, God created light. Day two, God created the sea and the sky. Day three, God created fertile earth. Day four, God created light of day and night. So he put the sun and the moon and the galaxies in place. Day, day uh, five, God created fish and birds. And day six, God created land animals and man and woman. And of course, on day seven, God rested. So what was all of creation about? What was it about? It was about his glory. This is what Psalm 19.1 says. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his hand. What's it all about? It's his glory. And our response should be one to marvel at the glory of God. Just thinking about how God, with just his words, he spoke into existence the many galaxies that exist. Just by his words, man and woman came to be. And that we were stamped with his image. And how marvelous was his creation of man and woman. He created Adam and Eve to love each other. And to love God. This is how it was before the fall. 
He created Adam and Eve to work. Did you realize that work isn't a cause of the curse? Work was designed by God. I believe in eternity we will work because it's part of how God designed us. It's not a part of the fall. God created man and woman to think and to feel. God created man and woman as spiritual beings to worship God. And at the end of the week, God says, it's good. It's very good. And God rested. The curtains close. Then we come to chapter 3. And the next chapter opens. Take a look at your Bibles at chapter 3 of Genesis. I will read verses 1 to 5. It says this, or you can see it on the screen. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You, you, you will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, as this curtain opens, all of a sudden we see, as in any story, but this one's true. We see the villain arise. We see the evil one. We see Satan coming in the form of a serpent who is coming as the tempter. And, and some people have asked the question, well, where did Satan come into the story and all the creation? We're not told in Genesis 1 and 2. The answer is, I don't know. I don't know, but here's what I know. I know that Satan was created. He was created by God as a beautiful angel, and he was given a special place before the glorious presence of God. You can look it up yourself, Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 17. But due to his pride, he fell and was cast out of the presence of God. According to Isaiah 14, 12 to 14... We know that Satan lusted after the glory of God, which you're going to find out is a big no-no. We never lust after the glory of God. Now remember, the goal of everything is the glory of God. Now notice what Satan's approach was to Adam and Eve. His approach to them is the same approach that he uses for you and I today. So look at the similarities. The first thing he does is he tries to get them to question God. Did God actually say? Now, why did he want them to question God? He wanted them to question God because he wanted to bring division within the harmonious creation that existed. He wanted to bring division. Satan always wants to bring division. Notice the second thing he does. He wants them to doubt God. Not only does he want them to question God, he wants them to doubt God and as a result to reprioritize their life. Don't listen to God. Listen to me. Do what you want, how you want, so you can become like God. Notice what Satan says. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die as if God's lying. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now here we see the most basic tactic of the enemy that he has been doing for centuries. He wants us to be divided and he wants us doubting. And this is exactly what happened in the fall. We see division happen within creation between Adam and Eve. They're hurling at each other. That's their fault. It's their fault. It's the snake's fault. We see that they doubt God, which caused Adam and Eve to submit to the enemy's desires over God. They, their life was reprioritized. No longer were they asking what pleases God, but what pleases me. Notice what happens in verse 6. Take a look. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took it, its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the tree in the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, Where are you? Notice that he does this because he has a relationship with them. Where are you? He says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, Well, who, who told you? You were naked. He's looking for honesty. Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? He's trying to get them to take responsibility. The man said, the woman you gave me, yeah, it's always her fault. The woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? He wants confession. And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. Now, in this, notice what takes place. Remember the intimacy that God had created man to have? No longer is there intimacy, but there's division. Remember how God created man to work and to do it in a blissful state? Well, now he is going to, if you read on, he's going to have to do it with sweat and tears. Remember how God created man to think and to feel Notice that these emotions are going to be manipulated and they are going to be distorted and they would, uh, they would hurt each other. They would hurl accusations with each other and blame each other. And remember how God created man to worship? Well, they would forever struggle to really worship and to be in harmony with God. No longer would they work, walk in unity with God because they had chosen to go against God. Friends, we learn a lot about the enemy here. We learn a lot even about what's happening in our world today. The reality is that the enemy still wants to bring division in a major way. He wants to bring doubts in a major way. And when I look at our society today, he is trying to do it in every way possible. And I see two major targets, the fa families and the church. The enemy does not want the family to stay together because in the family is the design of God. 
God designed the family, and he wants family to be redefined. That's why in every television show, you have every combination of what family is about. Society is trying to redefine family. That is an attack by the enemy. He wants that to happen. We see an attack on the church, and that's why we see division all over the place. And even here at Mission View, I know the enemy, he, he wants us to be divided. But here's the deal. We must keep our eyes fixed firmly on Christ because it's about his glory. It's about his grace, and that is what we are about. And we cannot allow the enemy to have a foothold. Here's what I know we need to do. We need to strive to fulfill the mission that our Savior gave us, and that is to go and to make disciples. And as we make disciples, we want to see people come into an intimate relationship with God. We want people to really understand what biblical unity and community is all about. And we want people to come to understand how God has uniquely designed them as individuals to be an influence in this world. That's what we will continue to do. Now, as we go on, we see after this fall, we see the consequences in chapter, the rest of chapter 3 to chapter 11. Now, we're not going to go through the passages, but I would encourage you to read it. But here's the consequences. Four things that take place. The first thing that takes place is separation. We see the serpent is separated from creation. We see that Adam and Eve is separated from one, one another and that there is division within their family. Please understand that separation is still a cause of the fall today. When we see separation and division within families, please understand it stems from the fall. Here's the second consequence. It was violence. Look in chapter 4. Read it sometime. Notice what happens. We see the first murder takes place, which, by the way, was religiously motivated. It was religiously motivated because Abel offered a better sacrifice than his brother Cain. And we see that because of religion, we see his brother is murdered. Please understand today that when we see people being burned alive, when we see people being decapitated, when we see them being tortured, please understand, it's not God. It may be done in the name of God, but that is not God. It stems all the way back here to the fall of man. We also see the third thing is wickedness. If you read on in chapter 6 through 9, we see that the world became so wicked. And here's what we see in the climax, climate of that day. We see God being less and man's desires being more. And when God is out of the picture, what comes into the vacuum is wickedness. And so as a society, it was a sexual society. It was immoral. It was people carousing and doing what they wanted, living life without reference to God at all. And the result was absolute wickedness. What's interesting is that even though God had once said everything was very good, now he says it's very wicked. But here's the grace of God. The grace of God, even though it was a wicked society, he put a messenger right within that society. A messenger that would be an, an, a trophy of grace. His name was Noah. It says this in Genesis 6. 
It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a just man, a perfect, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. I'm so thankful that even in our society, he has put Christ followers. And hopefully we can be the Noah of our society where we will find grace in the eyes of the Lord. That we would be just people, perfect in this generation. That we would walk with God. What we know from 2 Peter is that, uh, that Noah was a, uh, a preacher of righteousness. 2 Peter 2.5 says he was a preacher of righteousness. You say, well, how was he a preacher of righteousness? Well, he had a great platform. He was building the first cruise liner. He was building the first cruise liner that would carry his family and anybody else that would be willing to get on the ship and all these animals. And it was gigantic. And as he's working on it, people are coming saying, look at this lunatic, this Noah guy. Let's go see what Noah's doing. And as he got his crowd, I believe he was preaching. He was preaching and proclaiming the truth of God. Turn and repent because there's going to be judgment that's going to be coming someday. See, God has always had a presence in the midst of a wicked society. My friends, I see wickedness all around us, don't you? All we have to do is look at the silver screen and see all the things that are happening. We see the things that are contrary to God. $98 million is what Fifty Shades of Grey made the first weekend. It's trying to redefine what true sexuality is all about. What I'm amazed at is that a bunch of women, a lot, majority of women, have gone to see the movie. Now think about it. Now I haven't seen it. I've just read about it. But what I understand is there's a young, hot, good-looking man. If you would make that guy overweight and maybe a little bit older, he would be called a creeper. He would have sexual assault given upon him. He would be thrown into jail and put, put a felony upon him. But we celebrate it because it's in a different context, our society. See, our society is always going to go away from God. And as God is removed from society, what will fill in is wickedness. That's why you and I are so important. Here's the fourth effect of the fall. It was selfishness. Turn your Bibles to Genesis 11. Genesis 11, this is post-flood. Man has started to repopulate the earth, but we see the sin nature in man being sparked, and there's there's this genius idea that man has. I don't think it was genius, but they probably thought it was a genius idea. And look at what it says in chapter 11, verse 4. Then they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now notice that this genius idea of let's make a name for ourselves, let's build a tower, let's do something incredible, went directly contrary to what God had told them. God had told Noah this. He said in chapter 9, verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons, this is after he came out of the ark, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. That was the command of God, but they did something different. Interesting, the word Babel means gate of the gods. Now, I don't believe they were thinking that there was 
God out there. They were making themselves, fashioning themselves as a God. These egotistical people thought they could fashion God as they desired, but God had the final word. He says, "Uh uh-uh, you're not building something for your glory. I am going to disperse you. I will destroy what you are doing. Friends, let me just say that anytime man builds something to the glory of man, it's doomed for failure. And believe it or not, it happens in churches. The very first church that I was part of, I, we would have never said we're doing it for the glory of man, but the reality is we want it to be bigger. We want it to be better. What was said in staff meetings by the lead pastor was that we are the best. We are the best in, in all humanity. We are the best. And that's, that church no longer exists today. It doesn't exist. God says, I will share my glory with nobody. I will share my glory with nobody at all. Because it's all about his glory. See, as I wrap up this first chapter of God's story, we end with positive news. We end with this news here. We end with the fact that God left his grace and promised grace. Now, we didn't see it, but if you were to go back to chapter 3, and you'll see it on the screen, look at this promise. And it was a promise to us, but it wasn't a very good promise to the enemy. It was really a promise to the enemy, and this is what God said to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now here God promises Adam and Eve that there will be an offspring, a seed, so to speak, that will come from Eve's family line that would eventually defeat the enemy, Satan himself. And from this point on, man would look for a redeemer. And as we move from Genesis, we see a trail of grace develop. We see that develop, and God uses genealogies to do that. Ever read in the Bible these genealogies and you got this person begat this person, you just kind of skip right over it because you don't want to read all those genealogies? Well, the first genealogy is in Genesis 5. And so God shows how the seed of grace is going to be carried out down the family line. Now, out of all of Adam and Eve's children, Seth is the person he chooses. It's interesting. The word Seth means granted or grace. And at the very end of Seth's line comes a man named Noah. And Noah, we already stated, was a man who found favor in God's eyes. Noah had three children, and it was through Shem that he passed on the seed of grace. And it was through Shem's line, at the very end of Shem's line, is a man named Abram. He would be called Abraham. We'll study him next week, but here's what you need to know. It's through Abraham that God made a promise that through you and your family, I will bless all the nations of the earth. Seed of grace, Seth, Noah, Shem, Abraham. Now some of you might say, well, how does that apply to me? Where do I come into this picture? Well, you actually do come into the picture. Fast forward all the way to Matthew. And we come to the first thing, the genealogies. And guess who's the first person on the list in the genealogies? Abraham. Guess who the last person is? Jesus, the Christ, the seed. 
the promised Redeemer, all the way from Genesis 3.15. And this is what the Apostle Paul tells the Galatian church. He says this, if you belong to Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In other words, you will be blessed. As God had promised way back in Genesis 12, you will be blessed if you belong to Jesus. The reality is God wants to reverse the effects of the fall for every single person today. And if you think about it, your life parallels the creation that we talked about. He created you in wisdom, in His glory, in His grace. But He lost you to sin. We rebelled against God. And as a result, we were separated from God. But Jesus came in, filled in the gap, and said, I want to take sinful man, I want to take holy God, and I want to reconcile the two of you together. And that's why he died and bled on a cross and then rose again the third day to reconcile man, to restore us to the relationship that we should have. The question is, have the effects been reversed in your life? Do you belong? To Christ. Do you belong? That's a decision that you have to make. It's not just something that happens when I sit in a church. It's a decision. And if you do belong to Christ, here's what else you need to know. You need to ask yourself, are you living in the power of God's grace? See, here's the deal. Grace is our source of strength. Jesus is our source of strength. Because we still deal with this flesh of ours, and this flesh of ours struggles with, with separation, with violence, with wickedness, with selfishness. We will always struggle this side of heaven with that. But what we're told in Titus is that when we trust in Christ, when we trust in Him, He gives us the power to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and we can live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. In other words, we we can live out the mission that God has designed for us. But I'm going to tell you, it is not easy. This life is hard. I wanted to conclude our time together in this way. Since we're talking about the story of God, I want to tell a story through song. So Mitch is in the band are going to play two songs. The first song is about the struggle. It's about the struggle that we have in this life and that sin is passed down from one generation to another. It is a struggle in this life and we need God. We need him desperately. And the second song is about the strength. The strength that comes through the power of God, the king of kings, who, who if he's in our life, he will work his glory in our life and he will work his grace. Evaluate. Where are you at in the struggle? Where are you at in his strength?